Let's open our Bibles tonight for, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be looking at uh, several verses tonight, verses 17 through 34. Title of the message, This Do in Remembrance of Me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Before we get into the text, I'd like to share a story about how the Lord's Supper was first observed by the natives who came to Christ in the South Pacific Islands in the mid-1850s. In 1858, Scottish missionary John Patton and his wife set sail to the New Hebrides Islands. Before leaving, one of the elders of the church tried to discourage them from going. He said, you'll be eaten by cannibals. Patton answered, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. <laughs> he translated the New Testament when he got there and the hymnal into their language. The first time they had anything written from the scriptures in their own languages on the island of Aniwa. After three years, several of the natives trusted Christ as their savior. And in October, they had their first communion service. Now, I just wanted to read how Patton described that first observance of the Lord's Supper. It's taken from the story of John G. Patton. The whole service lasted nearly three hours. The islanders looked on with a wonder whose unusual silence was almost painful to bear. Many were led to inquire carefully about everything they saw, so new and strange. For the first time, the gift of the South Melbourne Presbyterian Church was put to use, a new communion service of silver. They gave it in faith that we require, would require it, and in such faith we received it. And now the day had come and gone. For three years we had toiled and prayed and taught for this. At the moment when I put the bread and wine into those dark hands, once stained with the blood of cannibalism, but now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems and seal of the Redeemer's love, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces. I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. As I read that, I thought about the monthly observance that we have here at Grace. And I wonder, is it as meaningful to us as it was to them on that day? I'd like us to Look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. And Paul here is relaying the instructions that Christ gave to him to establish this ordinance of the Lord's table in the church, the church ordinance. Let me just give you the outline before we begin. And in verses 17 through 22, we'll see the rebuke to the Corinthian church by Paul. Second, the institution of the Lord's Supper by Christ, verses 23 through 26, and then toward the end of the chapter, the warning of judgment by God. And what I mean by that, uh, the by there, he is the agent of the judgment that we will face if we do not judge ourselves as we take this meal. And so there's a warning. 
Let's look first at the rebuke of the Corinthian church by Paul, verses 17 through 22. In the church at Corinth, there were divisions where there should have been unity. Now in this, and that's how I know it was a Baptist church. Verse 17, now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there, there must be her- also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Paul evaluated the problem. And he took them to the task. And in that verse 17, he says, I praise you not. You'll notice again down in verse 22. Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Two times. Well, look back at verse 2 of chapter 11. And and we read, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So he praised them for keeping the ordinances. That was the good news. The bad news was that they were keeping them with the wrong attitudes. They were showing favoritism to some and ignoring the needs of others. Verse 17, we saw that phrase, not for the better, but for the worse. That means that their gathering was not beneficial. As they came together, they weren't leaving having having been better off, been blessed that they had been there. The word better means stronger or nobler. So instead of making them stronger or nobler, it was doing the opposite. It was making them worse, that is weaker, less noble, more carnal. Well, to explain how this problem had become obvious, it had been obvious to Paul, and he wasn't even at Corinth at this point. It showed up in the way that they were eating the fellowship meal that took place before the Lord's Supper. Now, we don't do that here. There are other times when we have fellowship meals. But it was common to have a meal together as a church before partaking of the Lord's table. This was not the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It was a church meal. Jude refers to these church meals as feasts of charity in Jude verse 12. Charles Hodge says, This custom of a church meal may have been carried over from the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples the night he instituted the Lord's Supper. He writes, It appears to have been customary at the beginning for the Christians to assemble for a common meal and to connect it with the commemoration of the Redeemer's death. So the church meal had created some problems. We have fellowship dinners here often enough to understand how things could have gotten out of hand. Sometimes things go wrong. And we're a family, and sometimes family uh, steps on each other's toes. Let me just say that. The ones at the front of the line, you can imagine, uh, heaping their plates full of food. And, and the people are in line, boy, boy, that looks good. Look at the pile of food that's there. And by the time they get up to the line, they look at the table, and it's all gone. The church fellowship dinner can turn into 
a church non-fellowship dinner very quickly. Well, Paul heard about these things. He heard that there were divisions, verse 18. It's amazing how quickly word gets around. Even when there was no texting, no social media, Paul heard what was happening in the church. And no doubt, so did everyone else. The news that came to him was that there were divisions. The word in Greek is schisma, and we get our word schisms from that. And literally, in in the Greek language, it means to split, to produce a gap, or a tear, to tear. There's an irony in the phrase verse 18 has, when you come together, there are divisions. You gather together, but you're divided. You unite, but you're not united. When Paul says, I partly believe it, that doesn't mean that he heard the news and he said, you know, I'm going to only believe part of the story. That's probably partly true. It means that Paul can understand how it could be true, given the carnal state of the church. We might say it today, that part fits in with what Paul knew about the church. So this, I partly believe it. This is probably what's going on. He heard about the heresies, verse 19. There must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be manifest among them. Now here's an interesting viewpoint. The word heresies there is, is literally described as an act of choice. That's where it began, the origination of the word heresy. And then it became to, uh, came to mean a party or a disunion. You remember back in chapter 1 and verse 12, uh, Paul dealt with the divisions that were in the church. Some people were saying, well, I'm following Paul, some Apollos, some Cephas, and some Christ. And so there was that disunity. He referred to again in chapter 3. Some were of, of our Paul, some were following Apollos. So that was the, the, the act of choice, the decisions that they were making to be part of those groups. Well, here Paul looked at the problem as, as good. And that that surprised me at first, because what can be good about problems? Unless you're driving your car and all of a sudden the oil light comes on and you say, ah, I need to stop and fill the engine with oil, because if I don't, there's going to be more problems that are worse down the road. A quart of oil is a lot cheaper than a new engine. So that's what's going on here. Paul looked at the problem because it pointed out who was approved. He says, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be manifest among you. In other words, it tried them. That's the word dakimazo. It tried them. It put them to the test. And some of them passed and some of them failed. And it showed who was approved. William MacDonald writes, Although in general this would be detrimental to the church, yet one good thing would come out of it. That is, that those who were truly spiritual and who were approved by God would be recognized among the Corinthians. So divisions are the warning signs that there is a spiritual problem. People who are united in Christ will be united together. One author says, one of the first symptoms of worldliness and backsliding often before it shows up in compromised doctrine or lifestyle, is dissension within a congregation. Heresies, divisions, are a sign that uh, there's this disunity. 
Paul finished his rebuke by saying that they were missing the point of fellowship. He said, you're not really coming to a fellowship supper as it appears on the surface, that symbol of fellowship and communion. Verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, you're coming for some other reason. The fellowship meal had been undermined and the observance of the ordinance had been, had been destroyed. They didn't wait each other, for each other before eating in verse 21. And this is talking about the, the meal before the communion service. For in eating, everyone taketh, uh, taketh before other or before another person his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. Some people were, uh, started eating what they brought. Um, they weren't sharing it with others who were hungry. Instead of putting their salad on the, on the table for everyone to eat, they said, oh, this is the good stuff. We're going to keep it right here at our table, and we'll just have it among our family. We're not going to share that. Well, Paul says, uh, some of you are, are hungry, and, an and another is drunken. He may be using that term to mean the opposite of being hungry, that is to being uh, satiated, being full, or he may be using that to indicate that they were even becoming drunk with excess. So Paul asks some rhetorical questions at the end of this uh, correction for the church at Corinth. He wants to make them aware of the problem, and rhetorical questions make you stop and think, okay, how am I going to answer this? The answer is obvious, but I need, to, I need to think about it. He says, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Well, I guess we do. We came from it. That's where we prepared our food. And then he says, why do you despise the church of God? The word despise there is kata, which means down or against, and then phroneo, which is your mind. Why do you set your mind down against others? It's a very picturesque word. Why, you, why do you despise? And, and he calls this the church of God. The church is made up of believers. You're despising other people. And then the third question, why do you shame them or bring embarrassment to those who couldn't afford to bring food? And that word is kata askuno, to shame down against. And Paul asks, what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to praise you for this behavior? The answer is obvious, no. The sin was twofold then. In those two words that I mentioned, despising and shaming, God's church was being despised. And those who didn't have food were being offended. They were turning the whole message. And you think about this. this is, you say, well, that's just the church meal before the, the Lord's Supper. We'll, we'll all be right with the Lord by the time we get to that, won't we? They were turning the whole message of the Lord's table upside down. They were coming together to remember the selfless sacrifice of Christ. He gave himself to provide for our greatest need that we could not satisfy. Our sin debt could not be paid any other way. And Jesus came to do that. What an unselfish act of surrender. And how does the church remember that event? By being selfish by being greedy, by keeping food to themselves and not being generous toward others. 
Well, let's look now at verses 23 through 26, and we'll see the institution of the Lord's Supper by Christ. We've been through this many times, but I think it's good for us to, to go through it again. How did this ordinance originate? Verse 23, at the very beginning of the verse, For I have received of the Lord, Paul saying that, that which also I delivered unto you, that is, unto the church at Corinth. Jesus was the one who ordained this meal to be remembered. You say, I don't know why they have that Lord's Supper in the, in the church service. Who, who came up with that? <laughs> Jesus did. Paul didn't make it up. The Lord was the one who instituted this ordinance. That's why we call it an ordinance. Baptism and the Lord's Supper in a Baptist church are the two church ordinances. He's the one who wants the church to remember his death. The Lord gave this. He gave it to Paul, and Paul was delivering it to the church. And we've been practicing it down through church history, and we'll be observing it tonight. Well, since the Lord established the ordinance, it carries his authority. God told us to continue this practice. Like baptism, it's not something that you can take or leave in your Christian experience. You can't just miss it and say, well, everything will be okay. He gave it to us to observe. It carries his authority. Since the Lord established the ordinance, the church has the responsibility to continuing its observance as he instructed. When we announce the Lord's Supper service, it should be something that every member of the church looks forward to be a part of, to participate in. We have that responsibility because God is the one who ordained it for the church to practice. Doesn't it break your heart to see more people show up for an ice cream social than they do for the Lord's Supper? What do you think the Lord feels? He's the one that gave it to the church. What's involved in this memorial? We'll pick up in the second half of verse 23. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, the cup, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Did you see it was the same night in which he was betrayed? Judas had already left after the, the, the first meal. He wasn't there for the Lord's Supper. He was not a believer. He was the son of condemnation. So it took place the same night. Judas was out arranging the time, the place, the price with the Roman soldiers. Think for a minute about what this says about our Lord. He is omniscient. He knew all things. He knew what was in Judas's heart. And he initiated this meal so we, we would remember his death. As the world was rejecting him, as the world was plotting to take him and to take his life, he wanted the church to remember his offer of salvation. He gave thanks. We usually give thanks when we receive something. We were, we're taught that. That's to be polite. Jesus was not receiving anything. He was giving. He was giving his very life his flesh and his blood and sacrifice. And he's the one who gave thanks to God. Why? 
Well, he's thanking God for the ability to accomplish salvation's work. He wanted to do this. This is why he came to earth. He's thanking God that he can give his life for man's sin. This is the way of Christ. And it should be also the joy of every believer to thank God, not for what he gives us. That's, that's normal. But to thank him for what we can give. He gave out the bread and the cup. The bread represents his body. Hebrews 10.5 says, Wherefore he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me. There could be no substitute for sin without a body to sacrifice. There could be no removal of sin without that sacrifice being sinless. So the bread represents his body. The cup represented his blood. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood is no remission. One of the many hymns that we sing in our hymnals about that sacrificial blood of Christ is that song, Nothing But the Blood. And there's so much truth in that. What can wash away my sin? Is there anything else? No, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What elements to symbolize his body and his blood What's the outcome from observing this meal in verse 26? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. As often. Here it's once a month at grace. The frequency is not specified in scripture, but there is to be a continual, regular memorial in observance of this ordinance. You do show. That, that word is kata angelo. We get angelo or angelos from an angel or a messenger. What are we doing when we're, we're kata angelo, when we're showing? In the Old English, it's S-H-E-W. It means to proclaim, to declare, to preach. We're preaching a message as we observe this table. We preach it to ourselves. We preach it to others who observe. And we do this until he comes. When Jesus comes, our faith will be made sight. We'll be in the presence of the Savior. And this memorial meal will no longer be necessary. Our preaching and our teaching of the cross will be finished. Don't forget. Say, how could anyone forget Calvary? <laughs> the very fact that Jesus instituted this for the church tells me that it's a real possibility. And so Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. In the last part of the chapter, we'll see the warning of judgment by God, verses 27 to 32. There's some, several words here that are important to understand the nuances, but we'll go through um, and point out some of those. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, that word unworthily is, is out of balance. It's anoxios. It doesn't measure up unworthily. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That doesn't mean what most people think, that I have killed Jesus by doing this. 
But let a man examine himself, and that word is dakimazo, try it, test yourself, prove yourself to be faithful that everything's right with the Lord, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily doesn't measure up, my life doesn't measure up to what I'm, what I'm saying, that Jesus has saved me from my sin. I say that, but has he? Is there sin going on on a daily basis in my life? I need to take care of that, unworthily. Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. That word is crema. It means judgment. Not discerning. That's diacrino, the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, and that's that word diacrino, discerning is the same word as judge. We're to put our, our we're to judge ourselves, to discern where we are with the Lord. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, and that's punished. But it's not talking about eternal punishment. That's only used on the, word, the last word in the verse, or condemned with the world. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. That's child training, discipline. He disciplines us because we're his children. That we should not be condemned with the world. And that's katakrino, to be eternally punished, to be judged against. Okay, so why does this judgment come? The basis for the warning. The warning comes to those who eat and drink unworthily. He said, well, none of us are worthy of salvation. So what does that mean? And I've explained it already in the, in the meaning of that word. In an unworthy manner is saying that I am in fellowship, I am in communion with Christ and others, when in reality, you're not. The truth doesn't measure up to what you're living. So the, the picture, the illustration of the meal needs to be true in your life. Charles Hodge says, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner means to come to the Lord's table in a careless, irreverent spirit without the intention or desire to commemorate the death of Christ as the sacrifice for our sins and without the purpose of complying with the engagements which we thereby assume. <laughs> Is it real? Or is it just a flippant thing? It's just a, we, I'll just do this, because that's what we do at church. It must be meaningful. It must be true. What does this judgment involve? The judgment is not eternal punishment in hell. As I mentioned, Christ already took that punishment for you. A believer can never lose his, his relationship with Christ as a child of God. But he can lose his fellowship. A disobedient believer, notice in verse 29, brings that judgment to himself, that correction to himself. That judgment could be sickness and premature death. It goes into the specifics in verse 30. And when a person professes to be saved but is living in blatant sin and God brings judgment, that judgment is a powerful example to others that God doesn't let his children get away with things. It's exactly what happened when people heard about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5.11, it says, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Well, we would be too if that took place. They lied to the Holy Spirit and they died right in that service. And everybody heard of that. And so many weak, many are weak and sickly among you. And many sleep. One of the punishments of, 
of not measuring up, not, not caring, taking this just flippantly, irreverently. How should the believer respond? Verses 29 through 32. 28 said, examine yourself, prove, discern. And that's why we take a moment to, to examine our own hearts to make sure the picture that we're, we're presenting, that we have fellowship with the Lord, we're in communion with him, is true. Now, I don't want, I, I don't want ever someone to say, well, I'm, I'm just out of fellowship with the Lord, so I'm just going to let the elements pass. The Lord doesn't want that. He wants you to make things right with him and so that you can take the fellowship meal. And that's one of the reasons we're to do this on a regular basis. There's also self-judgment, verse 31, diacrino, to separate thoroughly, to withdraw from, to discriminate, to discern what's going on in your own life. Identify the problem that hinders your fellowship with God. Take care of sin. Confess it. He'll forgive it. Paul leaves a concluding warning about the service in verses 33 and 34. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That ye come not together into condemnation, that's crema, the, the, the punishment, and the rest will I set in order when I come. So, we don't have that fellowship meal before the Lord's Supper. So what, what's, the, what's the principle that we can glean from that problem that was going on in Corinth and apply it to our own lives? Well, think of others when you're coming together for fellowship. Make sure you're not pushing your way forward and causing strife and division in the church. Share. Have genuine fellowship with one another. I love it when people stay. I shouldn't say this because we used to have an 8.30 club on Sunday nights. And, and we'd, we'd, we'd talk about giving out pins to the ones that lasted till 8.30. And of course, I'm locking up tonight. So, yeah, but, but fellowship, isn't it sweet? Where we share things with each other. Think of others. And then also make sure that you're in fellowship with God. Don't put yourself in a place where you ignore the warnings that are clearly here in this text. 